Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. I was off last week, but uh, I'm glad to be back with you again this week as we continue our sermon series here at Urban Village about forgiveness. So today we are going to be reading a passage from uh, the Gospel of John, and this comes from chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Hear these words. Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. My wife and I went to a concert a couple of weeks ago, and I had listened to a a new band at the beginning of this year from New Zealand called the Beths, and I really liked them, and so I kind of looked them up a little bit online and discovered they were coming to Chicago, so I... They were playing at Lincoln Hall here in the city, actually, on the night of Ash Wednesday. And it's been quite... I enjoy listening to music, but I, especially in recent years, have not really gone to that many concerts. And because this was a group of 20-somethings, or the band anyway, and so I figured that we would be some of the older ones there, but I thought it would be kind of fun to go to a concert. So when we uh, went to the concert, uh, I saw that it was general admission, but our daughter had been to a concert at this same location, and he said, she said that there are actually seats up in the balcony. So we got there about a half hour before uh, the band, the first band, went on. And so I figured, well, if we get there, my hunch is that all of the 20-somethings will get there early because they'll want to be on the floor close to the stage, and there will be seats for us, more elderly folks, uh, up in the balcony. But when we got there, we discovered just the opposite. All the older people about our age had gotten there early, and they got all the seats in the balcony. And on the floor, there was hardly anybody there. So we were a little bit puzzled about what to do. And so for a while, we took a seat up in the balcony, but when the first band came on stage, it was a little hard to see them. So we just decided, well, let's go out down on the floor. It's a really in- I'm used to going to events, whether it's a sporting event or concerts back in the day, where you have assigned seats. And there's something about that that uh, I like. Uh, I often will fly, when I fly, I fly southwest. And so 
still there's a little bit of uh, anxiety within me because you have to claim a seat. But I'm, I'm grateful there's somewhat of an order. You've got your, your letter and your number and you line up. But for this concert, you just could go wherever you wanted. And at first I was a little bit taken aback and unsure of that, but it was also a little bit freeing. We were down on the floor closer to the stage, and there was a freedom to kind of just go wherever you want. We, in a sense, had all access to wherever we wanted to go on the floor. This notion of having access can bleed into our faith sometimes. We believe that others have better access. Like, for example, sometimes people will jokingly say to me, well, can you say the prayer? Or they think that I have some hotline or direct line to God, that I am in a hierarchy somehow higher up than others because I do this for a living, which uh, I wish it was true, but it's not. And sometimes when we think about having access to God, we may include ourselves in that. That is, we may believe, do I even have access to God's love, grace, forgiveness? We may doubt that and feel like, well, there's some magical formula that we're supposed to say or some magical act that we're supposed to do. That is the thing that will give me access to God. Well, when we talk about this, I mentioned earlier that we're talking about forgiveness in this sermon series, and today we want to focus especially on our own relationship with God and receiving forgiveness and grace from God and what access we have to that forgiveness and grace. Are there assigned seats or the things where we then have a front row seat to that forgiveness and grace, or is there all access that we can go wherever we want and we can get as close as we want? The flip side of this sometimes, too, is we get into the habit or we get into a mindset of thinking that there are some people who should be condemned and some who shouldn't, some who should have access and others who shouldn't, too. We see this notion of who should be condemned strongly, uh, played out strongly in today's passage. If you look at this text in a Bible, whether you read it on an app or in a, a a Bible with a real paper and hardback Bible, you may notice that this passage from John has brackets around it. Well, here's a little tidbit about the Bible. Some people sometimes are curious about this. Where does the Bible actually come from? Is there some magical document somewhere in a museum that we have the Bible? Well, we don't. What we have are copies of copies of copies of the Bible. We have early manuscripts of this. We don't have the originals, at least that we have discovered. So, for example, just a few, uh, not long ago, the Egypt Exploration Society recently published a Greek papyrus or a kind of paper that is likely the earliest fragment of the Gospel of Mark. And they dated this anywhere between 150 and 250 AD. So you can get a sense, this is the earliest that we have. Most people believe that the Gospel of Mark was written around 60-ish or so AD. So we don't have the originals, but we have our copies of copies. And in this passage, I re- the reason I bring this up is in the Gospel of John, the earliest manuscripts we have of John, this particular passage is not in there. But in fact, it's added later to later manuscripts. And so there's some debate about its authenticity. But I think there are enough scholars who say there are still, whether it actually fits in the Gospel of John or fits maybe in another of the Gospels, there's still wisdom. And there is still, we believe, that the Spirit is speaking through this passage. We see here in in John that the religious authorities, they want to bring Jesus down. And in the process, they uh, have no um, compulsion about bringing this woman down too. 
in this scenario, we see an interesting example of the concept of guilt and shame when we see these religious authorities bringing this woman to Jesus. The difference between these two things, guilt and shame, can have an impact on our own sense of access to God's love and the forgiveness that we have and the access that others have too. We've talked about guilt and shame before at Urban Village, and often Brene Brown, the sociologist, is quoted, especially from her TED Talk. This is a somewhat simplistic way of describing it, but uh, Dr. Brown says that shame is a focus on self and that guilt is a focus on behavior. So in other words, shame is saying to yourself, I am a bad person. And guilt is, I did something bad. So there's a slight difference between the two. So if you were to apologize to someone, uh, you might say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That would be guilt, that we have guilt about doing something, and so we want to apologize. Shame says instead, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. Do you see the difference between the two? I believe that guilt can actually be helpful. Again, Brene Brown says that she believes it's adaptive and helpful. It's holding something that we've done or failed to do up against our values or feeling some discomfort for people of faith. We, are, we feel guilty about we have not walked in the way of Christ. Shame is something else. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or believing that we are flawed. And then, this is key, therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame, Brene Brown says, is not helpful or productive. But then guilt is something that we actually sometimes think, sometimes people say about Urban Village, they like Urban Village because they don't make you feel guilty, which I get where they're coming from. Maybe hopefully a better way of, I'd like to think anyway, at Urban Village, we don't want people to feel shame. A little bit of guilt is not bad because that can be the thing that pricks your conscience. Like, I have strayed from what God wants me to do. One way that shame gets embedded into our souls is that uh, sometimes there are harmful stories that others tell about us and the nature of who we are, and then we take those to heart and we believe them. So perhaps think about your own life. And maybe somebody has said to you, you are less than a person because, and then you can name whatever it is, you are less than because maybe you grew up in a household and someone said you're not as good as a brother or sister. Or maybe someone has said, you are less than because of the person that you've chosen to love. Certainly, people of color have heard you are less than because of the color of your skin or your, or your background, where your ancestors came from. These are the stories that others may tell about you, and then we hear them, and we believe them. We take them to heart, and then that takes us to a place of shame, because so many negative stories have been told about us and to us, and we take that to heart, and then we believe, I am a mistake. Again, as opposed to guilt, which I made a mistake. See if you can notice how that's playing out in this passage. The religious authorities, and by that I mean that the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious authorities are trying to tell a story about this woman And perhaps not surprisingly, she doesn't have a say in any of this. How often have you read this story, if you've read this story before, and you believe, just believe that the accusation is true? We just take it at its word. Actually, we shouldn't jump to that conclusion. Scholars say that in the Older Testament, the law says that both the man and the woman should be present for accusations of adultery. And so it's suspect that these authorities 
only talk about the woman. The man is nowhere to be seen, which could very well mean that these authorities have purposely tried to trap this woman in that situation. They have told a story about her that may not be true. And so you can imagine, not only she could be falsely accused, but two, this story that they're saying about her begins to seep into her soul. And this is the beginnings of shame. So the authorities may want to bring Jesus down. That may be their ultimate goal in this passage. But in the process, they're creating the story for somebody else and perhaps planting the seeds of shame in this woman who may very well be unjustly accused and unjustly labeled. When we look at forgiveness, when we look at this story and we look at guilt and shame and forgiveness, sometimes we in our lives will ask a question of somebody else. We say, on a scale of one to 10, where do you fall? And in this passage, we may think to ourselves when we come to guilt and shame and when we talk about this passage on a scale of one to 10, where do you fall uh, on this span? So a person who doesn't believe they are worthy of forgiveness, perhaps that is this woman. That's the corrosive nature of shame. But now let's look at the other end of the spectrum. Shame is a place where we don't want people to, to be or to live or to dwell. But on the other end of the spectrum, this is a person who doesn't believe they need forgiveness at all. And that, I think, is perhaps the religious authorities. They are doing their best to try to make sure that this woman and and Jesus are the ones who are in need of repentance and forgiveness. And they do seemingly no work at all on themselves. So for the person who believes that they are a mistake and have no redeeming quality, and then on the other end of the spectrum are the people who don't feel like they need to do that work at all. They have no need for repentance, no need for confession, no need to to look at themselves and, and think about how have I strayed, how have I not followed in the way that Jesus wants me to go. I remember once I worked at an organization, uh, a nonprofit, and we were doing interviews for a new job. I was in my 20s and I was interviewing another person who was just out of college. And of course, in an interview, sometimes you ask the question is, you may come right out and say or ask the question, what are your weaknesses? Or maybe another way of phrasing it is, what are the things you need to work on? What are your challenges? But I think I remember I asked pretty bluntly, like, what are your weaknesses? And I remember this fresh-faced, recently graduate uh, person who just graduated from college kind of pondered that. He said, I don't think I have any. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, really? And I told my executive director, my executive director at this organization thought that was the best answer ever. This is a person full of confidence. But I remember at the time thinking, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want somebody working in the organization who feels like they have no weaknesses at all. Sometimes in our faith lives, we get, maybe we fall into the trap of that. We are so busy telling the stories of other people. We are so busy pointing the finger at others. We are so busy thinking they're the ones who need to confess. They're the ones who need forgiveness. They're the ones who need to go to God and make things right. And we're so busy pointing the finger that we don't look at ourselves at all. And we don't do that work of really beginning to look into our own lives and do that daily reflection of really beginning to explore where have I fallen short? Where have I not loved a person who came into my life today? Where was I impatient with someone? Where did I cut someone off? Where was there an opportunity to further justice and I decided not to do that? All kinds of opportunities for us to go through that daily process, but we may 
It's more fun. It's a little easier to have other people, to point the finger at other people and not ourselves. And this, I think, is where guilt actually can be helpful. Guilt can be the prick to your conscience, the nudge that maybe I need to do some close examination of myself. So wherever one thing that I want to make clear, wherever you fall on this spectrum, whether you are a person who experiences deep shame and feel like you are a mistake, that you have nothing unlovable about you, that there's nothing redeeming about yourself, or whether you are somebody who feels like you don't have time for that. You have no time for introspection. You are busy looking at others and seeing how they should repent. No matter where you are on that spectrum, you have access to forgiveness. Your sins are not written in stone, but instead in sand, just like Jesus kneeling on the ground and writing in the dirt. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, you have access to God. You have access to God's grace. You don't need a ticket. You don't need anything else. And so this is the message that we want to convey When you think about your relationship with God and receiving that grace and forgiveness and wherever you are, to first know that you have access and then begin to the work of looking and doing that heart and hard work of confession, of repentance, of turning away from those things that take us away from God and turning toward holiness and love. I've mentioned one of my favorite books in recent years, it's a favorite of many, uh, is Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative in, in Alabama. The EJI is uh, committed, an organization committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States. It's uh, dedicated uh, to challenging racial and economic injustice, uh, protecting human rights for the most vulnerable in our society. And in this book, Just Mercy, it's a combination in his own autobiography, but also telling stories about the work that he does. Near the end of the work, uh, end of the book, he tells a really powerful story about being in a courtroom in Louisiana. They had just received good news for two of their clients that they were men who were unfairly convicted, and they received word that these Uh, men who had been unfairly convicted would be released from death row after spending nearly 50 years in prison. So, so much work had gone into this, but also they were just exhausted. So Brian writes that he was walking in the courthouse and that he noticed an older woman sitting at the marble steps of this massive hallway. And he wrote and described her, said she was wearing what he called a church meeting hat. And she was sitting down and she noticed Brian and motioned him to come over. And he started talking to her and discovered that she wasn't related to either of the clients he was working with. In fact, she wasn't related to anybody who was on trial that day at the courthouse. And he was curious about that. So he invited her to tell her story. And she went on to say that, uh, tragically, her 16-year-old grandson had been murdered many years previously. And as he writes it, She said, I grieved and I grieved and I grieved. And she said, the boys who killed her grandson were sentenced to life in prison. And she said, I thought that would make me feel better, but instead it made me feel worse. And then on that day when the people who killed her grandson were convicted, she said a stranger came over to her 
And the stranger said to this woman, just lean on me. Just lean on me. And so the woman said, I leaned on her for well over an hour. And in the book, she says, I didn't know what to do with myself after those trials. So after about a year later, I started coming down to the courthouse. I don't really know why. She said, I guess I just felt like maybe I could be someone, you know, that somebody hurting could lean on. I decided that I was supposed to be here and catch some of the stones that people cast at each other. Do you notice the imagery here? Brian wrote that when she said that, he remembered that he had just been at a church and that he used this passage from John 8 when he said in that church that sometimes our self-righteousness, our fear, our anger have caused even Christians to hurl stones at the people who fall down, even when we know we should forgive or show compassion. And this woman claimed for herself that she was going to be a stone catcher, not a stone thrower. And so she took Brian's palms and she started to rub them. This is what I think is one of the most powerful parts of the story. She just took Brian's palms and started to rub them. And she said, it hurts to catch all them stones that people throw. And Brian said it felt nice to have that woman earnestly massaging my palms in a way that was so sweet. And he confessed a little strange too, this stranger rubbing palms. And then he finally had to excuse himself to go sign some papers. And then she said, oh, wait, I have one more thing. And she dug around in her purse and she found a piece of wrapped peppermint candy. And she said, here, take this. And Brian wrote, that gesture made me happy in a way that I cannot fully explain. I tell this story because we talk a lot about grace at Urban Village, unexpected love and forgiveness, out of nowhere love and forgiveness, undeserved love and forgiveness. This woman popped out of nowhere. Brian was happy but exhausted. And in his book, he tells so many stories of loss of people that he defended who were ended up executed, of lost cases, And a moment when he finally won, and then out of nowhere, this woman comes up to him and offers this gift of massaged palms and a piece of peppermint. That's grace. This woman is helping all walks of life. People who are in this courtroom, some of whom perhaps are guilty, some who are innocent, family members who didn't expect any of this, and she tells them, here, just come and lean on me. And she maybe rubs their hands too, and maybe gives them peppermints. And all of this, people didn't ask for it. Some of them maybe didn't quote unquote deserve it. It comes out of nowhere. They may have thought I've got to do something in order to have access to this kind of love, but they don't. She's just there, massaging palms and handing out peppermints. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter what they haven't done. The only access they need is a willingness to get close to her, to allow their palms to be massaged, to reach out and grab that peppermint that is offered. You might in your own life have had so many stories told about you that you are less than until you deal with and struggle with shame You haven't lived up to the expectations that someone else has had for you. 
you have access to that love and grace. You have access to a message of wholeness and beauty. There may be some of you too who are listening, if you really stop and reflect on it, realize, you know what, I spend a lot of time maybe acting like this religious authority. I'm the one who tells the stories about others. Or I'm the one who points fingers and says they're the ones who really need to go before God and ask for forgiveness and we don't do that work ourselves. Maybe that's where you are. You have access. You have access to that love and forgiveness and grace. So wherever you fall on this spectrum, I hope and pray that every single day you will rejoice in the news that this forgiveness is there for all. Something as simple and as powerful as a massaged palm, a free peppermint, or being able to sit or stand wherever you want. That's grace. And that's for all of us. Amen. Well, friends, thank you uh, once again for listening. I will be back again next week on this podcast. If you uh, want to learn more about uh, Urban Village, you can go to our website, uh, urbanvillagechurch.org, and our Podbean page. You you can listen to some of our other great preachers, too, and uh, listen to uh, their own reflections on this text. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website, christiankuhn.com. Uh, and reach out to me there. And so, friends, until the next time we are together, may the peace of Christ be with you.